growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. A thousand years, the devil in chains, a thousand years, the Christ to reign. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Those familiar words from Matthew chapter 6 are part of Jesus' instructions on how to pray. That prayer has been prayed by millions of Christians countless times. But as we'll see today, there's coming a day when we won't have to pray that anymore. There seems to be an implication there that there's going to be an establishment of God's kingdom right here on earth. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today, Pastor Clay takes us to Revelation chapter 20, one of the most exciting and debated chapters in all the Bible. You ever seen that bumper sticker that says, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future? Well, today we're in Revelation chapter 20, where we find the devil's future. The second coming of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom on earth has been anticipated since the days of the first followers of Jesus. Even before then, the pages of the Old Testament are filled with the promise of God's righteous rule over His creation. But as Pastor Clay is going to teach us today from verses 1 through 6, there are differing opinions on the subject of the return of Christ and His kingdom. Now here's today's message as the Revelation series continues on Crosswalk. Sometimes we would really like to forget, wouldn't we? some of the things of our past, right? I mean, I, I don't know, maybe not you. Maybe not you. Me, uh, boy, I can think of some things. Uh, sometimes some of the mistakes I've made, some of the sins I've committed, some of the words that I've, that I've said in anger or without thinking or, or whatever. Uh, some of those things we, we would love to forget, but it seems like uh, that the devil... Uh, likes to remind us of those times. It seems like uh, he, he, he loves to just bring those things up. And even though uh, if we're in a relationship with Christ, we, we understand that God says that, that I've forgiven you of your sins, I've taken them away. As the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, we know that, they're not, that they no longer exist in the mind of God. But it's funny how the devil keeps reminding us of those things. You ever seen that bumper sticker? Uh, that says, uh, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future? Apparently some of you have never seen that bumper sticker. Well, today we're in Revelation chapter 20, where we find the devil's future. If you have your Bible this morning, I encourage you to open to Revelation chapter 20. As we dive into uh, the first six verses this morning, we're in a year-long study of the book of Revelation uh, in a series entitled, The Revelation. Huh? Is that clever or what? <laughs> we are on course to finish uh, this series by the end of 2010. Got some exciting things, I think, on store, in store for 2011 in some series that I'm uh, putting together right now. But uh, we're in Revelation chapter 20. We're getting towards the end, and it's, it's good stuff happening. Uh, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his uh, future. Verses 1 through 6 this morning is where we are. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. 
And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. There's a lot going on, of course, in these uh, uh, opening verses, and, and we're going to look at them. But before we do, there's a couple things that I want to kind of, of go over with you that I, I, I just think is important. I want to deal with this, uh, these references here to this thousand years. Now, we're going to look at it in the text, but, but before we do, I want to give kind of a background and understanding of these thousand years and the interpretation of them. The thousand years, or it's also referred to as the millennium or the millennial kingdom. Um, it's a, it, it comes from two Latin words, actually. Um, mille, meaning 1,000, and annum, meaning year. So when you hear someone make reference to the millennium or the millennial kingdom, uh, they're referring to the thousand-year uh, kingdom. Uh, it's, uh, this is the only place in Scripture where a time period is assigned to this end times event, this, this kingdom rule of Christ. This is the only place in Scripture where a time period is actually assigned to it. Now, that's not to say that it's the only place the kingdom is talked about. As a matter of fact, the, the discussion of the kingdom um, is, is referred to, is referenced probably as much as anything in all of Scripture. Uh, the the, the, the kingdom, the, the kingdom and establishment of a kingdom in the end times is talked about multiple times in Scripture. For example, in uh, the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 23, Jeremiah says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. That reference in Jeremiah chapter 23 uh, to David is, uh, is referring to, of course, De King David and the nation of Israel and what is known as the Davidic Covenant. The Davidic covenant was a promise, a covenant, a promise that God made to David that there would never be a time that a, a descendant of David would not sit on the throne of David. That it was an, that was an eternal uh, covenant, an eternal promise that God made. 
Now, we know, of course, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. He is descendant of David, and he sits on the throne, and so he shall for all of eternity. But the first time Jesus came, he was rejected. The first time Christ came, he was crucified, right? We know that story. But here's a great truth from the Bible. God always keeps his promises, even when we don't. God is always faithful, even when we aren't. And so the idea of the Davidic covenant has, has lived on with this idea that there would always be a descendant of David who would sit on the throne and that there would be a time when his kingdom, as Jeremiah said there in chapter 23, would be established and the sovereign Lord would rule over that kingdom. As I said, this is just one of many passages of Scripture. But this is the only place where there's reference to an actual uh, period of time, 1,000 years. Five times in the first six verses, six times in the first seven verses, even though we're not covering verse seven uh, today, six times in the first seven verses, there is this reference to this millennial kingdom, this thousand years. But because this is the only place that the time frame is given for this kingdom, there has been debate as to whether this was a literal thousand years or not, whether this is an actual kingdom that Christ will come down and establish or not. There's been debate about that for many, many years, and there has arisen three primary positions on this. Now, some of you are going to wonder why I'm going to take the time to go through these three positions. But the reason I'm doing so is because I think that it's important that you understand why you believe something. Because I am of the belief that if you understand why you believe something, it makes you more passionate about what you believe. And if it's anything that the church needs, in my opinion, it's more passion about what we believe. Because I think if, if we had more passion about what we believed, people would be more interested in what we believe. Now, that's just my opinion, but that's what I think. So there are three primary positions as to the interpretation of this thousand years. You with me so far? All right, I'll see if I can lose you here in a minute. Here we go. Here comes the first one. The first one is what's referred to as post-millennialism. That is, uh, quite honestly, it is the newest... Um, interpretation, and quite honestly, the least favorite one today. Uh, Postmillennialism basically has the idea that the world will get better and better until the whole world is Christianized, and then Christ will return to a kingdom of peace. Uh, In other words, there actually will be a kingdom at the end, but the the church is is the one that's that's making that happen. The church is going to bring the world into a, a, a golden age of utopia, and then Christ can simply come down and, and sit on his a throne. Uh, an Englishman by the name of Daniel Whitby was the one who kind of uh, came up with this idea uh, in the uh, late uh, 17th, early 18th century. Uh, it, it, it gained a lot of traction when Whitby first came out with it because during that time there was a, there was a sense, there was a feeling that, that the world was getting better. 
And if you know much about history, you can look at that period of time and and the Victorian age uh, a little bit later on, and you can see how this belief would begin to develop. Uh, Historically, uh, the the world was going through and was experiencing what's known as the first and second great evangelical awakening, where hundreds of thousands made professions of faith in Jesus Christ. The modern-day missionary movement was taking the message of Jesus all over the world, and there was just a, a sense that, hey, we're getting, this thing's getting better, and the message of Jesus is going out, and, and everybody's just going to accept Jesus, and this is going to get good, and we're going we're to bring the kingdom in and, uh, and say, okay, Jesus, come on back. That's all fine and good. But then a little something called World War I came along, where millions of people died, followed closely on its heels by World War II, followed by continual wars and rumors of wars and genocides and every manner of evil that you can possibly think of. And it became quite apparent that the world was not getting better at all. And so post-millennialism kind of fell out of vogue. And, and honestly, I think today you'd find very few people that would hold to this view. The second view is what is known as amillennialism. Amillennialism has, the, has this as its definition. It, amillennialism would say that there's no literal millennium, no literal thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth following the second coming of Christ. Um, the, the prefix a or, or a on the front of millennialism is a negation uh, and so it, what it's literally saying is no millennium, is what all, millennia, all millennialism means, no millennium. Uh, it's based primarily on uh, the late 4th and early 5th century theologian uh, Augustine, or Augustine, depending on how you want to pronounce it, and his work entitled The City of God. In Augustine's work, City of God, uh, Augustine explained that that the devil was defeated and he was bound at the cross. When Christ died on the cross and rose again, the devil was defeated and he was bound. And so uh, the, the uh, church now is in this, is in this battle, uh, the, the church being the city of God against the city of Satan, the world, and that the, the city of God is overcoming the city of Satan, the world. It has some similarities with post-millennialism except that it believes that there will actually be no, no reign of Christ, that, that the, the church is working and moving in the world, and that at the end of time, uh, Christ will simply come back and set up his kingdom. All millennialism uh, is still popular today among uh, a good many people, particularly those that hold to, to a less literal interpretation of Scripture. Not, not everybody that holds to all millennialism feels that way, but um, certainly some that hold to a less literal interpretation would hold to all millennialism. Uh, they tend to spiritualize uh, the, the, the prophecies concerning the kingdom, uh, and they tend to apply the prophecies about the nation of Israel and the restoration of the nation of Israel. They tend to apply those to the church today. That's all millennialism. There will be no actual, literal kingdom on earth. The third view, and the one, quite honestly, which I unapologetically adhere to, is known as premillennialism. Uh, premillennialism says that Christ will return to earth literally and bodily, 
and he will establish a kingdom on earth that will last for a literal 1,000 years. That's premillennialism. It was unquestionably, in my opinion, <laughs> the position of the, uh, the early church. Uh, it's interesting in uh, Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus is getting ready to go back to heaven, in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, his disciples ask him a question. And the question they ask is, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So the disciples clearly believed that there was going to be a time when Christ was going to, to, to fulfill all the promises that God had made to the nation of Israel and that he was going to restore Israel to what God had originally intended. The disciples clearly believed that. What's also interesting is that Jesus doesn't tell them they're wrong. In verse 7, Jesus doesn't say, oh, you don't even know what you're talking about. That's not even right. Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, what Jesus said, uh, Jesus' answer seems to imply that they had the what correct. That they were correct about what it was God was going to do. But Jesus said, you really don't, you don't really need to worry about the when. You just need to get on with what I've told you to do, which is to go share the, my message with, with the world. Jesus himself, in, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 6, you remember the prayer uh, that he uh, taught his disciples? Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think there seems to be an implication there that there's going to be an establishment of God's kingdom right here on earth. It may not uh, stir your grits, but uh, some of the early church leaders, church fathers, such as uh, uh, Justin Martyr, Tertullian, Irenaeus, all held uh, to a premillennial view. Now listen, I say all of that to, uh, to, to say this, that... In, that the reason I think this is important is because the premillennial view, in my opinion, is the only one that holds to a strict, literal interpretation of the text. And while the book of Revelation does contain symbolism in it, there's no question that it does, there is symbolism in there, we have to recognize that in places, but one of the primary rules of interpretation, if you've been with me long, you know this, one of the primary rules of interpretation is you always take the literal interpretation unless the context implies that it should be taken in another way. And there is nothing in the Revelation chapter 20 that would say to me anything other than this is a literal 1,000-year period of time. So, the premillennial view is that at the end of time, Jesus Christ will return, battle of Armageddon, we looked at all that last week in chapter 19, he will uh, defeat uh, the Antichrist and his army. He will establish his kingdom for 1,000 years on this earth and then eternity will follow. That's the premillennial view. Aren't you glad you came today? <laughs> now, let's, let's see what the text, how, how we can, what we get out of the text from this. Revelation chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 3 again. Let's get to it. Let's see. Uh, then I saw the angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed." 
After these things, he must be released for a short time. As I said a second ago, in Revelation chapter 19, we saw uh, that, that great final battle known as the Battle of Armageddon where Jesus Christ returns with his army. That's us. We talked about that last week. And he, and he does battle with uh, the Antichrist and his false prophet and his army. The Antichrist and the false prophet, if, if you've been with us in the study, we covered them earlier this year pretty extensively. But just to remind you, they are real flesh and blood individuals who deceive billions, apparently, into believing that they are the ones that they, are, that they should worship. They are the ones that they should follow. And as a result of that, at the end of chapter 19, at the end of the, the battle of Armageddon, the Antichrist and the false prophet are, are seized, they're grabbed, and they're thrown in, as the text said, and we looked at it last week, they're thrown into the lake of fire. I believe a very real and literal place where they will remain Forever. Now, in chapter 20, we come to the one who's been pulling their strings. We come to the one who has been behind evil, who is evil personified, not only during the tribulation period, but from the very beginning of time. That serpent, the text says, Satan, who has, through the Antichrist and the false prophet and just through his ways of working through history, has, as I said, led billions down a path of false religion and false hope and false promises. Now, as I've said several times, uh, that does not mean that, that any person will have an excuse when they stand before God someday and they don't, if they don't have a relationship with him, no one will actually be able to say, the devil made me do it. No person is without excuse, but in chapter 20, we finally get to find out that the, that the devil has his reckoning day as well, and that day has come when we get to chapter 20. Now, I'm not going to, by the way, I'm not going to deal with that last phrase there in verse 3 where it says, after these things he must be released for a short time, when you're all wanting me to, but the reason I'm not dealing with that is because I'm going to deal with it next week when John comes back to that idea in verse 7. So uh, stay tuned for that. But in, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 3, what is clear is that, is that Satan, the devil, is seized and that he is thrown into uh, the abyss, or the King James translates it, the bottomless pit. It is a place so deep, so dark, that, that it's as if it has no bottom to it. And it is clear that he is chained, that he is put there, and, and John goes out of his way to say he, it's sealed over, there is no escape, and it is clear why he is put there, because it says, it bound him for a thousand years, and he threw him into the abyss, and shut it, and sealed it over him, and here it is, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. So there seems to be an implication that there's going to be something special going on during that thousand years that God wants Satan to have no influence over, no, no work over during that time. He is shut away, sealed away, chained up, put down for a thousand years. That is a good place to say amen. And so, having said that, this is probably a great place to introduce the, the big picture biblical principle for Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 6. BP squared looks like this. 
A thousand years, the devil in chains. A thousand years, the Christ to reign. Because in verses 1 through 3, we find out that the devil, uh, that his due is finally coming. And the first part of his due, the first part of his penalty is to be locked away for a thousand years. That's verses 1 through 3. A thousand years, the devil in chains. I can't even begin to imagine what the world will be like without any satanic influence at all over the world. A thousand years, the devil in chains. A thousand years, Christ to reign. We see that in verses 4 through 6. Let me read it. And then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. We've talked about all those things. We covered them earlier. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, those ones taking part in the first resurrection, the second death has no power. That's a good place to say amen too, quite honestly. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. In verse 4, there's this reference uh, to uh, those that, the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus. And it goes on to explain who it is. If you've been with us during this study, you may remember we, saw, we first saw those who were, who were killed during the tribulation period. We first saw them in Revelation chapter 6. You remember this passage of Scripture? It says this, When the Lamb opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of everyone who had been killed for speaking God's message. Everyone who had been killed up to that point been speaking God's message and telling about their faith. They shouted, Master, you're holy and faithful. How long will it be before you judge and punish the people of this earth who killed us? Then each of those who had been killed was given a white robe and told to rest for a little while. They had to wait until the complete number of the Lord's other servants and followers would be killed. So in Revelation 6, we're first introduced to the people during the tribulation period who begin to be martyred, begin to be put to death because they refuse to follow the, the Antichrist. They refuse to worship the beast uh, and to be fooled by his false prophet. They refuse to take the mark of the beast. We talked about all of those things. And as a result of that, they begin to be killed, persecuted for their faith. Some of them are in Revelation chapter 6, and now here in Revelation chapter 20, we find out that it's, it's the culmination of that. It's the completion of that. And in verse 5, it says the rest of there's, it, this first part of verse 5. Here's what I want you to think. The first part of verse 5 is a parenthesis. You, you could almost put brackets around it when it says uh, in verse in verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. The rest of the dead is referring to all of those who did not follow God. They're the rest of the dead. All of those that did not follow God, that rejected him throughout history, were not, John is very clear, they are not resurrected at this time. Their spirits are in Hades. We'll look at that. Next week, their spirits are in Hades, but at, at the end of the thousand years, according to the Bible, we'll see that, they will be resurrected bodily. They will stand before God at what's known as the great white throne judgment. And then 
what is to follow with them. We'll see that. But, but John's saying they're not resurrected yet. And at the end of verse 4, I mean, at the end of verse 5, he says, this is the first resurrection. What he's saying is, he's referring to verse 4, those that were resurrected, the resurrected martyrs. He's saying, this is it. That's, that's the end of the first resurrection. Jesus, of course, first fruits, but, and everybody that followed him, but he said, this is it. These martyrs killed during tribulation, that's the end of the first resurrection. And they rule and reign along with us and everybody else for that thousand years. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. I, uh, I said that there are lots and lots of verses of Scripture that, that talk about this establishment of this, this kingdom, this renewed and restored Israel and, and Christ ruling and reigning on this earth for a thousand years. Let me just kind of wrap this thing up with just one more verse from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2. The word which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war." Come, house of Jacob, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. What a fantastic promise. What a spectacular eternity to look forward to. And without doubt, there would be some who would say, that's a bunch of goggly goop. That's a bunch of nonsense. That's just something that, that somebody made up in their head. Certainly there are people that that feel that way. Maybe you're here and and you even have those thoughts. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But but here's what I know. For 2,000 years, they've been trying to figure out what happened to Jesus' body and how it got out of that tomb. For 2,000 years, they've been trying to to prove this thing wrong and figure this thing out and and figure out where, where really did Jesus' body end up because they refuse to believe that a bodily resurrection is actually possible might remind you of Jesus' words when he said, with men, these things are not possible, but with God, all things are possible. A thousand years, the devil in chains, a thousand years, the Christ to reign. How exciting it is to know that there is coming a time when Satan will no longer be able to lead men and women away from God. The deceiver will be locked away as Jesus Christ rules in his righteousness. His kingdom is going to be a wonderful time on earth as justice, peace, and prosperity will be the norm. One thousand years, the devil in chains. One thousand years, the Christ to reign. I don't know about you, But I'm looking forward to that time. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. 
Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.